the Children's Church, and thank you all for um, bringing the kids. We're going to talk a little bit about kids today, which will be a blessing as well. Uh, thank you very much for sharing with us this morning, Andrew and Lexi. Uh, Andrew and Lexi have uh, been a blessing to this church already, and I know they will be a blessing to the people of Cambodia as well. And uh, we absolutely look forward to hearing how God uses y'all in that environment. I also want to take a moment and address something that I shared last Sunday before I get into my message. Today, I ended up having to send out an email to help clarify what I meant to say, uh, but I also wanted to share it in this capacity as well. Apparently, I wasn't very clear and I as I intended to be and probably caused some confusion for some people. As such, I first apologize and then I will add that the point of the entire encounter as described in Mark chapter 2 was twofold. So I just want to cover those real quick. First, I believe that Jesus was very much orchestrating the event uh, for the purpose of the, communicating the fact that he is God. He absolutely had the authority to forgive sins, even if everyone in the room thought that in doing so, he was committing blasphemy. And when the people began to question his authority, he backed it up by healing the man who had been born lame. He told the man to get up, take his mat, and go home. And of course, the crowd was astonished. They were amazed as this lame man was no longer lame. The second point of the story dealt with the need for genuine, authentic faith. Jesus saw the faith of this man's friends. Now, on the one hand, we know that Jesus knew the hearts of each individual that was present in that story. As such, Jesus knew much about everyone's faith that day. But it is safe to say that when we read, Jesus saw their faith, that we're not just talking about his supernatural ability to see below the surface. In this case, their faith was on full display. They sacrificially carried their friend on a mat, believing that if they could only get him to Jesus, he could be healed. And then having arrived at this full house, they refused to take no for an answer. Nobody wanted to make room for them to get through with their friends, so they climbed up on the roof, tore a hole in the roof, and lowered him down in front of Jesus on a mat. On the one hand, they risked humiliation if Jesus chose not to heal their friend. On the other hand, they risked financial consequences as they had just torn a hole in somebody else's roof. But the potential reward, Jesus healing their friend, outweighed the risk of humiliation or financial consequences. Oh, how I wish that God's people would practice that kind of real faith today. I would imagine all of us would say that we believe that we have faith. However, I'm not talking about the kind of faith that you hear about. I'm talking about the kind of faith you see in action. When was the last time any of us showed that kind of faith? When was the last time we were so confident in God's ability to redeem and heal that we would bust down the doors of the church or even tear a hole in the roof in order to get our friends to Jesus? When was the last time we were willing to risk everything for the sake of drawing people to Christ? 
I confirm to you today that surrender to Jesus Christ is the only way that anyone will find salvation. So why aren't we doing more to bring people to that salvation? That's the kind of faith that was on display that day. And that's the kind of faith that should be on display in the church today. And while I'm addressing this, let me also address the craziness of this past week. Because I believe that what we're talking about here, about having a real authentic faith, connects very closely with what has taken place in our nation. I'm certain that probably every one of us today has already witnessed through the media the events that occurred this past Wednesday. But it didn't start this past week, though. In fact, it didn't start earlier this year with riots and protests. It didn't start four years ago when Donald Trump became our president, nor did it start eight years earlier when Barack Obama became the president. This is something that has been going on in our nation for a long time. Regardless of when it started, I can assure you that we are a broken nation. We have placed our trust in governmental systems and people Democrats, Republicans, even independents, only to be disappointed due to a lack of integrity, hypocrisy, constant verbal assaults from politicians. It is clear that people no longer trust our own government. We don't trust the elected officials. We don't even, we don't even trust the electoral process. But maybe the problem is not really our government. Let's face it, we act like we still want God to bless our nation. And this is where the problem didn't begin with people getting elected or protests or riots. We act like we still want God to bless our nation, yet as a nation, we continually move away from him. We still may talk about faith, but when was the last time that our faith was truly exercised? We have justified certain sins. We have murdered babies in the name of convenience. And we have embraced tolerance of everything except traditional Christian values. And regrettably, I'm not just talking about those outside the church. Within the church, all of the above have actually become quite common. So how do we change what is clearly broken I know it seems unlikely, but there is a way. Every one of you has heard the verse already from 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and heal their land. Maybe our entire nation is not yet ready to bow before the Lord and seek his face and seek his forgiveness and seek his grace. But the church certainly should be. According to that verse, it says, if my people, that would be us. The people who bear his name, that would be us. If we would pray, humble ourselves and pray, seek his face, getting to know him personally, and then turn from our wicked ways all kinds of sins that we as the body of Christ have allowed.
Isn't this what should happen when we truly put our faith into action, as I was talking about earlier? Wouldn't we leave sin behind when we truly begin to put our faith in action? Wouldn't we be so focused on him, believing that he has the power and the authority to change us? Shouldn't we be walking away from that sin? If we would collectively, as the body of Christ, do that, this verse gives us a promise of forgiveness and healing. I know the whole nation is not ready for that. I pray that the church would be ready for that. So I want to go ahead and offer a quick prayer before I go any further into the message this morning. If you would please bow your heads with me. God, may we once again see that you are our only hope. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for your forgiveness for all the ways that we have allowed sin to reign in our lives. We confess that we have fallen well short of your expectations. And I pray that you would immediately begin to change who we are. Make sin no longer an acceptable practice among your people. I pray that you would unite us as one body serving one God. May we once again become a holy reflection of you. And as you change us, Father, we pray that you would forgive our sins and heal our land. May we experience revival and hope once more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so here's the confession. I haven't gotten to my sermon yet, but that was stuff I felt like I needed to address because I wanted to clarify what I had said last Sunday and also because I felt like we needed to address the things that are happening in our nation today. I will say that even what we're talking about here today in the sermon will still connect very, very well with what we see happening around us. Last week, I began a new series entitled Jesus Encounters. In it, we are examining the impact of these Jesus encounters. There are things that Jesus said and did that drastically changed people, brought them hope, granted healing, and all sorts of other things. Last week, we looked at the man on the mat, and today I want to take a moment and look at our children. Our passage is found in Matthew chapter 19. If you want to go ahead and turn there already, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 15. And my guess is that everyone in this room today has heard it at some point or another. But I want you to hear it again, and I want you to maybe read along with us if possible. Matthew, the gospel of Matthew chapter 19, verse 13 through 15. This is what it says in the NIV today. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. 
Now, earlier in this service, obviously, you saw I had the privilege of dedicating a child to the Lord. I told you as a part of that, this is not a new practice, but rather something that has been done for thousands of years. In fact, even before we talk about Christian dedication, the scriptures reveal that Jewish cultures absolutely believe that God's blessing could be passed down from one person to another through the laying on of hands. That's why when we pray for one another, so often we'll invite other individuals to come lay hands on another individual. If you watch this morning as I prayed, I had one hand on little Zephaniah, and actually I had another one on mom's back, because truthfully, we ought to be praying for that family as well. But we believe that the hand of the individual is filled with the Spirit, actually has the ability through God to pass on God's blessing to another. We see this happen throughout Scripture. We see it first with regard to children in the book of Genesis. Do you remember when Jacob and Esau both sought after the blessing of their father? Or do you remember in Genesis 48 when Jacob, then a grandfather, would bless the sons of Joseph by the laying on of hands. But it wasn't even just for children. Listen to the words of Deuteronomy 34.9. It says, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. There was clearly some type of powerful anointing that was passed down to Joshua simply through the laying on of hands from Moses. And then we talk about the act of dedicating a child. Although such an act likely existed even prior to this verse that I will share with you in a moment, in fact, we know that it's instructed all the way back in Exodus the clearest act of child dedication in the Old Testament is found in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 27 through 30. It comes from a mother named Hannah. She had prayed for a child. She wanted so much to bear children because she wanted to make sure that her husband had a great legacy through her. She prayed for a son and the Lord provided. And this was her prayer of dedication. She said, for this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. Anna's son was a man named Samuel. He would become one of the most significant priests in Jewish history. He would be the one whom God would use to anoint both King David and King Saul to lead the people of God. Hannah's choice to dedicate her son to the Lord was incredibly important. And we even see in the Christmas story that we just got through working through in Luke chapter 2, specifically verse 22, that Jesus' parents brought him to the temple for dedication in accordance with the law of Moses that had been given back in Exodus chapter 13. Well, as Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 19, 
back to our original passage, we see that people are bringing their children to Jesus. They're wanting him specifically to lay hands on them and to bless them. And while it doesn't seem that Jesus has any problem with this, apparently his disciples did have a problem with it. I guess they felt as if Jesus had more important things to do. It's kind of like a a video that made its rounds a few years ago on the internet. It was of a lady named Kimberly. Her nickname was Sweet Brown Wilkins. Apparently, her Oklahoma City apartment had been destroyed by fire. Being interviewed by the media, she reflected on the fact that she didn't even have time to get her slippers on as she was breathing in smoke. At the end of the interview, she declared, ain't nobody got time for that. Well, I imagine that the disciples sort of felt that way with Jesus. Jesus was preaching. He was teaching. He was healing. He was casting out demons. He had important matters to address. People needed to know what is the greatest commandment. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? When will the resurrection take place? The woman at the well asked, where should we worship? And then the woman who was caught in adultery, the crowd asked, what should we do with this woman? Jesus had very important issues that he needed to address. So again, the disciples don't want Jesus to be bothered by these little children. He's got more important things to do. But Jesus saw things differently than what the disciples did. They were worried about the more important things while Jesus was worried about the most important thing. You see, all the other things that Jesus was dealing with was of value. It was important to answer those questions. But these kids were integral to the move of Christ in that day. It would seem that Jesus knew something that others did not. Listen to this. Jesus knew three things that we need to know as well. First, he knew that within children, we find an innocence that the rest of the world desperately needs. My guess is that somehow the disciples had already forgotten what Jesus had just said to them in another encounter. In fact, if you still got your Bibles open to Matthew 19, just turn back a page. In Matthew 18, verse 2 through 6, Jesus is addressing not only the disciples, but other believers that have gathered. And this is what he said. It says, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. 
I'm going to tell you, there's a statement that's in the middle there. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Apparently, the disciples didn't really take that to heart. Because here they are, they've got parents who are bringing their children to Jesus. And as they bring their children to Jesus, they're saying, no, leave them, leave them out. We've got other things we need to deal with. They weren't welcoming the children, were they? Instead, they're saying, keep them away. But I want you to think about what's said here. Their innocence is so beautiful and pure that even though we want our kids to grow up and be like us, Jesus says that we need to become like them. Man, I love the innocence of a child most of the time. They can get away with saying things that most of the time people are offended by those statements, especially if they come from individuals like you and I. But with kids, we look at it and we know that it comes from the innocence of a child. I remember one night our family had gone out to eat dinner. Andrew was very small at the time. As we prepared to eat, I think it was at a pizza hut. As we prepared to eat, he noticed that the family at the table nearby had not prayed before they began to eat. He immediately corrected them. <laughs> it wasn't enough to notice it. He immediately corrected them. And again, they were incredibly gracious, admitting that they knew they should have done so. On another occasion, we were in front of a Walmart, and there were employees who were smoking near the entrance. He loudly announced, those people stink. <laughs> I don't know that they were quite as gracious, but he could get away with it because of the innocence of a child. Within children, we also find a special kind of faith. As a dad, there have been many times that I have thrown my children into the air. I don't do it anymore because they're too heavy. But never have they feared as they were thrown into the air. Instead, they would always laugh. The reason why? because they had faith that their dad was going to be there to catch them. Now, their mom was having a heart attack. <laughs> but those kids had faith that everything was going to be great. They believed in the one who was throwing them. They believed in the one who was taking care of them. Let me suggest to you today that we need a childlike faith once again. The reality is we get weighed down by all the ugliness of our world, and we've seen so many times that other people have let us down and individuals who have not lived up to the standard. And deep down inside, there's even this question, will God let us down? And Maybe what really needs to happen is we need to go back to having the faith of a little child. One who recognizes that we are in good hands because he has always taken care of us in the past. And he will always take care of us again in the future. We need that kind of faith, especially as we see days 
filled with unrest like what we have seen in recent days. And this leads to the last part of this. Within children, we find innocence, we find faith, and we also find hope. Note that all of the questions that Jesus had been asking, that Jesus had people asking, they were in response to a broken generation. They were questions that dealt with issues like adultery and knowing which commandment was the greatest, thereby identifying which ones we didn't really have to focus on. Well, certainly God wanted to fix that existing generation. He saw their brokenness and he knew that without intervention, every one of those people would die and spend eternity in hell. But the greatest hope for humanity is not found just in the existing generation. It is found in our children. If you really want to change the culture, then we need to train up a new generation. Throughout the scriptures, we see times when God's people would drift from him because a generation grew up that did not know God or did not know individuals who pursued God. I think of the, uh, the Egyptians and I think of the, the Israelites when they were together, when Joseph was leading the people of Israel, when he was the one who had delivered the Egyptians, he had rescued them from their starvation. The Israelites follow him to Egypt. They live in peace with the Egyptians until a new generation came up that did not know Joseph or the God of Joseph. And when that time came, the people of Israel found themselves in oppression and they would eventually become slaves in Egypt. We see so often where a generation grew up that did not know God, but what if we began today to raise up a new generation of leaders and servants who would know our God? Young people who would tear down walls and rip holes in roofs for the sake of bringing people to Jesus. Now, in order to do that, we need to be the ones that teach them. I'm not telling you that there's no hope for the people that are out there. I believe there is hope for the world outside of here. In fact, that's why we need to be breaking down doors. That's why we need to be tearing holes in the roofs so that people will get to Jesus. We do whatever it takes to point people to him because we care about the people of this generation. But our children have the power and the opportunity to change our world. It has been stated even with communism, that overtaking a nation cannot happen simply by power or might, but rather if they could only reach the next generation and cause children to think this way, that then they could change a nation toward communism. What would happen if the church said, we will raise up a nation of God-fearing God faithful people, and we will begin with our children. 
I believe that God could change our world and I believe that God could take that which we have allowed to take place and he could change it completely. You know, Jesus' ministry only lasted about three and a half years. As such, we don't see the long-term impact of Jesus' encounters with these children. Yet we can speculate that they likely never forgot the blessing that Jesus had extended to them. These small children likely would remember that others tried to push them aside, that others tried to keep their distance from Jesus because this was an important man who had important things to do. But they would remember that that important man, that one who was so involved in everybody else's lives, that he had time for them. I'm sure that those parents would never forget what Jesus had done. I also believe that there is power again in the laying on of hands. If I could have anybody lay hands on my children, it would be Jesus. Because if there is anybody who has the power to change where they are, it is Jesus. So as I share this with you today, I ask you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I ask you to be sure that you are filled with the Spirit of God, that you live in such a way that your children will truly know what it is to be a child of God. I know Christian and Karen have already stood before you today, and they made a declaration saying, we dedicate our child to the Lord. And they have already determined that they will do whatever it takes to raise their children in a godly manner so that when he imitates them, because whether they want it or not, their children will imitate them. But when they do, they will in turn also be imitating Christ Jesus himself. I love the way Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, he says, be imitators of me just as I also imitate Christ Jesus. There was such a confidence in the way he was living his life. He was saying, if you watch me, it's okay. He called himself the chief of sinners. He knew that he had weaknesses. He knew that there were probably even times that he would struggle, but he was so determined that he would live for Christ that he invited people to imitate what he was doing because he wanted them in turn to imitate Christ. We need to be that kind of church we need to be that kind of parent. We need to be that kind of friend. We need to be that kind of light to our community. We don't know the role that those kids would play in the future of the church. But my guess is that being filled with the Spirit of God, having the blessing of God placed upon them, that they would have likely become integral parts of the early New Testament church, anointed by God for greatness. Maybe they would become some of the leaders that we read about down the road. We have no idea. We know that when I was in preparing this, I thought of Timothy. We don't know that Timothy was one of the children who was dedicated. We know that when Paul reflects on Timothy, he talks about his grandmother and his mom who they had been godly individuals. I picture them as being maybe someone who brought Timothy to Jesus so that he could lay hands on him as a child. I don't know that. There's no way to confirm it or deny it. I don't know, but 
I could see God doing such a mighty work through the hand of Jesus and his anointing that truly Timothy could have been one of those ones. What does God want to do through your children, through your grandchildren, through your neighbor's kids? I'm going to tell you that we have the power to change our world today. It is through confession we've already talked about. It is through seeking the face of God. It is through truly exercising our faith to the point that we would change our actions. And it is through pouring that faith into the lives of those who are broken. I ask you today, will you allow the Spirit of God to work in you so that the next generation can know what it is to be a child of God? Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we are grateful today for your grace. We're grateful today for the forgiveness of sins that has come to us. We do not deserve it. We do live in a broken world, and there are things that are happening that do not belong. And there is no way in the world that we could ever, we should ever be content with leaving our world in the midst of this brokenness. Father, I pray today that you would allow us to be your instruments to change our world. Father, I pray today that you would begin in us. Give us such a hunger for you. Give us such a faith that will not be satisfied just because we talk about you, but I pray that you would give us such a faith that we would act on everything you have commanded. Father, where we have allowed sin to remain in us, I pray right now that you would remove it. I pray that you would forgive us. I pray that from this moment forward, we would walk as those who have been transformed by the goodness of our God. Father, I pray that your anointing would rest on us so that as we pour into others, as we lay hands on others, that it would be the spirit of God that would flow through us. Lord, I pray not just for this generation, but I pray for the generation that would come after us. I pray for our children and our grandchildren and even our great-grandchildren that you would begin now to fill them with your spirit. I pray that revival would take place in our land. I pray that it would begin here, but I pray that our children would develop such a hunger for you that nothing else could satisfy it. I pray that you would use them to change the world around them. Father, I pray today that you would bless this nation, but not in its current state. Lord, I pray that you would bless this nation as we begin to turn back to you. Let it begin in us. Let it begin in our children. And from this moment forward, Lord, I pray that we would see the power of God being poured out through your people. Father, we thank you for the love that you had for the least of these. These children, I recognize that they may not have seemed like the most important people in the room, but you knew who you were dealing with. Father, I pray that we too would reach out to the least of these among us, that we would demonstrate our faith by not just seeking out the people who benefit us, but seeking out the people who need you. Father, may you be honored in us. Work in us, change us, change our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
It is truly a blessing to be with y'all this morning. We do have offering that will be taken, obviously not in the service, what we're going to do. Uh, we pass the offering plate in a different way. Actually, you pass the plate as you go out. And you have the opportunity, if you would like, and we invite you to, uh, to participate in tithes and offering as you give. Uh, there'll be individuals at each of the doors. And then also, um, Lexi and Andrew have already gone out to the foyer, and they will be there to answer questions. If you would, take the time to stop by. They mention having prayer support. Please don't underestimate that request. I love the fact that they, re, they are required by global partners to develop prayer partners. This is not just being able to give money to them. That's great if people do that, but they need people who are praying because the greatest power they have doesn't come from the money they receive, but rather the God that we pray to. So we invite you to stop by their booth and talk with them. Thank you for being with us this morning and go in peace.